Catholic campus. So it's a joy uh, to get to be here and to speak and to um, open God's word with you this morning. And uh, this, this season that we're in as a church family, I can't think of uh, really in some ways a better place to be than the, the letter to, uh, that James wrote uh, to this group of Christians. So let's pray um, now as we uh, go into this word and just ask for God's help to understand it and apply it in our lives. So let's do that now. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have given us the gift of your word that you have inspired it, that you've preserved it, uh, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, it is able to change us and transform us. And so this morning, we simply ask that your word would transform our words. We pray this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it, it shouldn't surprise us that some of the most regrettable things that have ever been said have been said on the internet, right? And again, we, we know this is true, but I just thought I'd give us a, a couple of reminders this morning uh, of regrettable things that have been said on the internet. These are just a few selections from Facebook. So here's, here's the first one. I think I should have a slide here. Yeah. Uh, okay, and I've got it up here too. So it says, there is no I in happiness, to which Jake responded, well, if you spelled it right, uh, there would be. Uh, okay, here, here's another one. Uh, when I die, I want my epithet to read, mistakes were made. Wasn't that already on your birth certificate? Ouch, Evan, okay. Uh, a couple more here. Here's another one. Uh, maybe it's not always about trying to fix something broken. Maybe it's about starting over and creating something better. And that's why you have a younger brother. Again, ouch. Okay, uh, here's another one. Without the ugly in this world, there would be nothing beautiful. Thank you for your sacrifice. Uh, and, then, and then lastly, uh, so if you can't see it, it says people who think I'm attractive. And that little blue square up there says my mom. So this is the group, this is the total pie. And to which his mom says, and that's not true and you know it. And I think what mom was meaning there is that, you know, there are other people besides me. Uh, but it just comes across as not great. Right? Our, our, our words have incredible power, right? Our words have power to wound. Uh, our words have power to heal. Our words have power to build people up and also the power to utterly and completely destroy. In fact, Proverbs 18.21, and, and Proverbs is a book in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, that just collects uh, wisdom and concentrates it down into these short, pithy sayings. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Right? And in an age of social media, of email, of text, it has never been easier for our words to travel faster and farther and last longer. Right, Where you can save an email, you can archive it forever, you can screenshot a text and preserve it forever. In fact, MIT sociologist Sherry Turkle, in her outstanding book, Reclaiming Conversation, points out, she was doing this, this research uh, with college students in particular, that one of the devastating effects of communicating, not face-to-face, -face, but via text or email, is that when someone breaks up with you over text or email, or sends you a harsh word or a comment, that you can go back and reread those words over and over and over again, right? It, it hurts when someone says something to you, but 
But over time, those words can kind of fade a little bit, but you can pull up and read that text or that email. You can relive that pain all over again. And we all have words, right, that we wish that we could take back, don't we? I mean, man, I know I do. <laughs> I, th- I thought about sharing some of those with you this morning, but honestly, the, the ones that would be real examples, they're just too embarrassing, too painful. And if I, if I shared them, probably you would all get up and leave and you wouldn't be here anymore. So um, I didn't want to do that. Maybe for you it was a text exchange with someone. You fired off something in the heat of the moment that you regretted. Or or maybe worse, uh, and and I've been in this situation too, have you ever been on a a text thread or a a group email and you reply, you think to one person with a criticism or a joke or making fun of someone else on that thread, but you accidentally reply all? Or maybe it was in the middle of an argument with a spouse or a coworker or a parent, or a child, or a friend, and you just said something that you regret. Singer-songwriter Sarah Groves has a great song called Roll to the Middle, and she has this piercing line in the, in the opening verse that says this. She says, we just had World War III here in our kitchen. And this line always gets me. We both thought the meanest things, and then we said them. We shot at each other until we lost ammunition. We both thought the meanest things, and then we said them. And then we said them. All right, so friends, as we sit here in this room this morning, when it comes to words, we all have wounds. We've all been wounded by words, and we all have regrets about how our wounds, our words have wounded others. So the question that we want to tackle this morning in this passage is how do we avoid speaking words that we'll regret? How do we avoid speaking words that wound others? And again, that's what we're looking at today in our Real Faith series. And in this series, we're studying this letter that Pastor James wrote to a group of Christians uh, who were probably based in Jerusalem, but then after persecution began to break out after Stephen's uh, stoning and death, that they got spread out side of Jerusalem, and so now their pastor James is writing to encourage them. He is writing to, to help them to live as if Jesus is actually the risen and reigning king of the universe. And, and when you look at the New Testament letters, that's really what all of these, whether it's Paul or Peter or James or others, they're writing to help these churches know what it is to live as if Jesus is actually king And that's what we we want to look at today. And that's one way of talking about what real faith is. Real faith is living as though Jesus actually is the risen and reigning king. And what we're going to see this morning, if you only write down one thing or you only remember one thing from uh, the message this morning, I hope it's this, that real faith transforms our tongues. Real faith transforms our tongues. Right? And if real faith doesn't do this work in your life, you will end up continuing to sin life-destroying shrapnel into others' hearts and even into your own, into the lives often, usually, of those you care the most about, right? The, The people that we wound with our words are usually the ones that we love the most, that are closest to us. But, and here's the, here's the good news, the hope of this morning, if real faith in King Jesus begins to transform our tongues, you can actually become a force 
of life-giving beauty and goodness that can bring about healing in the lives of others. So let's take a dive into what Pastor James has for us this morning in chapter 3, and we're going to see the power of the tongue first, and then we're going to look at the poison that comes from the tongue, and then finish with three practices for the tongue. So the power, the poison, and then three practices. So if you haven't already, I'd encourage you to turn to James chapter 3 in your Bible, or if you've got a phone, if you just open up Google and type James numeral 3, you will pull up a website that will have uh, the text of James chapter 3. I'd love for you to follow along with me in this. And the first thing that we see here in James chapter 3 is the power of the tongue. Now, if you've been reading along in James, uh, we even have these formed life booklets. You may have seen those. I think we probably have some out there. We actually printed the entire text of James in the beginning of that where you can mark it up and circle things and highlight things. If, if you're doing that, if you're reading James, you'll notice that he has this pattern where he'll give a command or instruction for example, he might say, don't show favoritism, or not many of you should become teachers. That's this morning, more on that in just a moment. So he gives an instruction, and then he gives some illustrations or examples, and then some further explanation. That's just kind of a pattern, so be looking for that as you read through James and you listen to these messages. So the instruction he begins with here is, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, this doesn't mean that Bible teachers have somehow just more authority or more important, but rather, James' point is all of us are going to be judged by our words, and teachers just have a lot more opportunity um, by nature of that calling and gifting to, to be judged because they speak and teach a lot. And then James goes on to give several illustrations or examples about the power, about the power of the tongue. So a small bit in a horse's mouth, a small rudder on the back of a ship, or a small spark setting an entire forest on fire. Just, just think about that. Let's just think with James and his illustrations for a moment here. You have this tiny piece of metal, right, that can, can control and lead a 2,000-pound Clydesdale. So it's incredibly powerful. Just a small little piece of metal. Or, or just a little rudder at the back of a ship, can, can direct a 640,000 tons. This is one of the largest container ships in the world. Just a small rudder can direct that 640,000 ton ship. Or just a, a tiny spark from chains being dragged along the edge of a highway, a cigarette butt, a lightning strike can set a whole forest on fire. Small things with incredible power, James is pointing out just like our tongues. And what I want you to notice here, before James even makes a, a moral statement about the tongue or a value statement about the tongue, he wants us just to see the power of the tongue, the power of the tongue. Why? I, I think because things that are of great power are the most dangerous when we forget how powerful they are. Things with the greatest power become most dangerous when we forget how powerful they are. So, for example, think about a table saw. Right? A table saw is an incredibly powerful tool that can, can slice through hardwoods, or hardwoods like nothing. It's an incredibly powerful tool. And it's designed right, to create beauty and goodness and life in the world, right? whether you're building a home or a piece of furniture. Um, it's, it's designed to create goodness in the world. But it's also capable of instantly cutting off all of your fingers, right? And the moment that you forget that it has that kind of power is the moment that you become careless. 
with it. Right? We are all walking around, in essence, with a table saw in our mouth. Something that is incredibly powerful and is designed to create goodness and beauty in the world, but that can also wreak all kinds of havoc. Right? Or think about another powerful thing that we interact with every day often is, is driving a car, right? A car has incredible power. And we hear a lot, don't we, about the dangers of distracted driving but how often do we think about the dangers of distracted speaking, of speaking thoughtlessly, carelessly? James wants us to confront us with the incredible power of our tongues so that we will never treat that power thoughtlessly or carelessly. Because when we do treat our tongues carelessly, thoughtlessly, or even worse, maliciously, they can inject venom into anyone around us. And that's what we see next. That the tongue is, yes, incredibly powerful, and the power can be so deadly because of the poison that is from the tongue. And this is really the heart of James' teaching on the tongue in this section. So if you look down to verses six and uh, 5 and 6 here in James chapter 3, you read this. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And the point James is making here is, is really just the opposite of the point that he was making earlier and what we heard Katie read, that the one who is able to control their tongue, James says earlier in the passage, is able to control their whole body and is, is able to live basically a, a, a whole and perfect life. But when we lose control of our tongue, it unleashes the power of sin and hell upon our lives, and it stains our whole being. Now, right, we could give a thousand different examples of this. I mean, from our own lives as well as in the broader culture. But most recently, think of, of former Raiders coach John Gruden, who through careless and demeaning, image-bearer defacing words, destroyed his career and poisoned people made in the image of God. Right From the lies that we spread to avoid trouble or to get ahead, to the gossip that we pass along to others, uh, to tear others down or, or build ourselves up, there are poisonous enemies in our lives, more than those we might deem enemies outside of us. Right? And we know this is true experientially, but we also know it's true biblically. Because if we step back and look at the origin story of, of human evil, of human brokenness in the world, it came through the power of words. Adam and Eve in the garden, this is Genesis chapter 3, were tempted to rebel against God, not by way of physical force or emotional manipulation, but by the slithering tongue of a serpent who spoke lies. How much evil and pain and division and hate and destruction in our lives is attributed to the power of lies, the poison of words. As followers of Jesus, we must see and live into the reality that real tra faith transforms our tongues. And that means we need to be acutely aware of their power and the kinds of poison that our words produce. And you look at this, you see this in verses three or 9 through 10 here in chapter 3, where James writes this, With it our tongues we bless our Lord and Father, and with it our tongues we curse people who are made in the 
likeness of God. From the very same mouth, from the same mouth, come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. These things ought not to be so. And this is the core of why James is so emphatic here about our tongues. Because when our tongues spew poison, they are cursing human beings, men and women, boys, girls, who are made in the image and likeness of God. When we inject poison into others with our words, it is like taking spray paints and a utility knife to the Mona Lisa. We are destroying, marring someone else who is made in God's likeness and image. Friends, when we slander someone, it's almost as if we rarely in the moment are consciously thinking this, but it's almost in essence, especially when it's another believer, it's almost like we come next to Jesus, we kind of, hey, Jesus, come, come here real quick. Hey, Jesus, you know what? You see that person over there? That, that person that you made, who bears your image, who you died a torturous death to redeem and save, and who you love? You know what? I just think they're a worthless pile of excrement. Screw them. Even if those words don't get verbalized, how often do we think about that? Think that way about others? Brothers and sisters, these things should not be so. These things should not be so. But here's the problem. Even though these things should not be so, they are so. They are so in, in, in our tongues, in my life, in your life, in your tongue, in the tongues of James' congregation 2,000 years ago. This is not a new problem in the life of the church. That with our tongues, we are cursing people made in God's image. Okay, so what do we, what do, we do about that? Well, thankfully, James gives us an, a really encouraging word in verse 7. He says, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No human being can tame the tongue? Thanks a lot, James. That's a, I was looking for help here, and you're saying, actually, you can't do anything about your tongue. It cannot be tamed. Actually, what James is saying is it's actually it's easier to be this guy. Take a look here. It's easier to be this guy right, than consistently to speak words of kindness and life and truth to others. It's easier to tame wild animals than consistently have our tongues speak words of life. And James says you cannot directly tame your tongue. But there are three practices that we can pursue to help change our hearts. Because real faith in King Jesus releases a power beyond your own ability a power that has the ability to transform your tongue in ways that you could never do on your own. And this is James' point. On your own, you are hopeless to tame your tongue. But there are three practices that can help transform our words. The first one is this. Pay attention to your heart. The first practice is to pay attention to your heart. Because what's James' point here? His point is that behavior management, sin management, is never going to be enough to tame your tongue. You can't just try harder and expect to see lasting change. Your tongue is just too powerful. It's too dangerous. You have to address the source. What Jesus says 
right, in multiple places in the Gospels, that it's out of the overflow of our hearts that our mouths speak. So you have to pay attention to your heart if you want to get control over your words. Um, Christian psychologist Kurt Thompson was with us a couple weeks ago at Christ Community. If you didn't get a chance to watch that or be with us at the Leewood campus for that event, I'd encourage you to go online to our YouTube page. You can watch it. It was outstanding. And one of the things that Kurt says a lot in his writing and his teaching is that you have to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. You have to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. And when we do that, we begin to attend to what is actually happening in our hearts. Until we attend to what is happening in our hearts, we will never escape the terror of our tongues. If you want your tongue transformed, you have to attend to your heart. And that starts by paying attention and being curious rather than condemning about what is going on in our hearts. Be curious about what's happening. Sometimes when we see evil or brokenness or ugliness in our hearts, we just go to shame and condemning. We need to be curious. Why is that there? What's going on right now? What's this connected to? So that's the first practice. Pay attention uh, to your heart. Here's the second one. Censor your speech. Censor your speech. Now, there is a lot of really important conversation about censorship and cancel culture and freedom of speech and First Amendment's rights happening right now in our country. And we need to pay attention to that. It's really important. It's really important for religious freedom and expression. It's vital for our culture and our democracy. But here's the thing. When it comes to our tongues, they need censorship. Friends, we've got to censor what happens here before it gets to here. So often. James writes in uh, chapter 1, verse 19, let every person be, what? Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Part of the reason for slowness to speech is allowing our, our, our speech to be censored. That we actually think about what we are saying before we say it. And uh, here's the question, though. What is the filter that we need for our speech? And here's the thing, especially when we are hungry or angry or lonely or tired, we need to be especially slow to speak because we're so much more prone to say something we'll regret when we are again. You can remember that. Maybe some of you are familiar with that acronym of HALT, but hungry, angry, lonely, tired. When we are one of those four things, and often they accompany one another, sometimes we're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired all at once, then you need to especially be careful about your speech in those moments. But what is the filter we need to put on our speech? Well, and a fellow pastor, a fellow apostle with James in the early church was a guy named Paul who wrote a number of letters in the New Testament. And in a letter that he wrote to the, the, the Christians in Ephesus called Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Paul gives us this great filter for our speech. He says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And then here's the filter. But only such as is, one, good for building up, two, as fits the occasion, and three, that it may give grace to those who hear. So, so let's just pause and break that down just, just briefly. Paul, there's basically three questions out of this. First of all, does what I'm about to say build up? Is what I'm about to say going to be constructive or destructive in the person who's hearing it? Now, to be clear, and this is key, this constructive, not destructive piece, because it's not just about being nice. I think this is the trap sometimes as Christians, especially, well, we, I just don't want to say anything that will ever make someone uncomfortable or upset. It's not just about being nice. Sometimes we have to say hard things. Sometimes if we truly love people, we have to say difficult things, maybe even things that they don't want to hear to help them to grow. 
But you can do that in constructive ways, or you can do that in destructive ways. So is what I'm about to say going to build up? That's the first question. Uh, second, is it necessary now? Paul, Paul uses the language here of as fits the occasion. So, so not only is what I'm about to say, does it, does it build up, but is this the right moment to say it? Is it necessary now? Because if you've got little kids, like if you've ever had a little kid who's having a, a temper tantrum, I've got an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, three-year-old. If your kid is just breaking down, like, it doesn't matter how good and wise and constructive of words you have. They can't, they can't receive it in that moment. Like, you have to help them calm down first. And then you can have that conversation, right? Or maybe you rec- it's not just with kids. Maybe you recognize that a fellow adult that you're trying to have a conversation. Maybe they're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And you just know no matter how important what you have to say, just right now isn't the necessary moment for it. They're not going to be able to receive it. Or maybe it's with a, a, a coworker or an employee that you supervise, and they, they kind of blew it in an area, and you need to have a conversation with them. But right now, there's a bunch of customers or other employees around, and it's, it's not the moment to say it. It's not necessary now. So does it build up? Is it necessary now? And then does it give grace? Does what I'm about to say give grace? Is it full of life and truth? Does the, not only the what of what I'm communicating, but the how I'm communicating, does it speak to that person in a way that they receive it and, and recognize this person sees me as an image bearer? someone worthy of dignity, of love, of forgiveness, and hope. Okay, that's, that's the filter that we have to put over our tongues. Does it build up? Is it necessary now? Does it give grace? I wonder which one of those maybe the Spirit is nudging you about in particular in your own life. Okay, those are the, the first two practices, to pay attention to your heart, to censor your speech, and then finally to saturate your mind. Finally saturate your mind. James 1.21 says this, We are to receive the word with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. In order to transform our words, we must receive and saturate our minds with God's words. Let me say that again. In order to transform our words, we must receive and saturate our minds with God's words. And there are lots of ways to do that, but one of the most effective ways of saturating our minds with God's word is actually just to memorize his words. When we do the work of memory, we actually begin to rewire the physicality of our brains. This is when Paul talks about renewing our minds in Romans chapter 12. This is exactly what he has in mind. And so this week, I'd love for all of us to try this challenge together, and that is to memorize Psalm 141 verse 3. And so uh, I have these cards made up for us, so hopefully you were handed one of these on your way in. If you didn't get one on your way in, I think we put some on this uh, table here in the back, so on your way out, you can grab one of these. This just has the verse on it. You can write it down. You don't have to have a card, but just wanted to have something to help you remember this verse. It says this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep a watch over the door of my lips. My kids have been working on memorizing this verse this year, and uh, they often will even remind me and my wife Rachel about this, like, Dad, keep watch over the door of your lips. Mom, set a guard over your mouth. What if multiple times a day, every day this week, as a church, as a community, we read these verses, read these words, memorized this verse? Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. 
Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. How might that begin? Just even in a week to transform the way we relate to one another, our families, our kids, our employees, our spouses. And what I love about this particular verse, why I picked this verse, is that it's not just a verse to memories, but it's, it's also a prayer. It's a plea with God that acknowledges that I can't do this on my own, that I need your grace, that I I need your help. I need you to set a guard over my mouth. I need you to watch over the door of my lips. Because, you know, we could have memorized uh, Ephesians 4.29 or a passage from James chapter 3, and and you should do that sometime. But I love that this is a prayer that acknowledges, God, like, you need to help me with this. So take this card with you everywhere you go this week. Receive it as God's implanted word. Let it saturate your mind. And you will begin to change as you trust your life and your tongue to God's word. As you entrust yourself to the word of life, who's the only one who can save you. I just want to ask you this question. Will you trust him today to forgive your tongue and to heal your heart? Because at the heart of all this, friends, is not only do we poison others with our words, but we poison ourselves with our words. And this is true because you talk to you more than anyone else talks to you. What is your inner dialogue like throughout the day? I mean, like, how often do I sit down to work on something, to sit down to work on this sermon? I think, gosh, Bill, you're such an idiot. Like, I mean, seriously, like, why, like you can't write anything creative. You can't write anything new. People aren't going to pay attention to this. They're not, they're not going to find it interesting. Such an idiot. And here's the thing, though. When you do that, when you have that inner dialogue, you are slandering and defacing someone who Jesus made and who he died for. Just as much as if you say it to someone else. There are times when Rachel and I will be having a conversation with my wife and, and she'll share some of the things that she's thinking, kind of her inner turn of dialogue about how she's thinking about herself. And sometimes you have to pause and say, Rachel, I don't let people talk about my wife that way. Until Jesus heals your heart and erases and heals and touches the shame and the woundiness of the words of the enemy that you speak to yourself, you will always be in a place of spewing that poison to others. But he can do it, friend. He can come in. He has the power to silence the voice of shame and evil in your heart. He can do it. He has the power. If you'll just open yourself to receive it. Let me close us with a prayer now. Father in heaven, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit now, even as we prepare in a moment to receive communion, begin to heal the places of woundedness in our own hearts that lead us to wound and hurt others with our words. You can do this. We trust you. In Jesus' name, we pray.
joy for the moment, a sinner be still, earth has no sorrow that heaven can bring, earth has no sorrow that heaven can bring. You now to stand as we recite together as a church the things we believe. So let's say these words, the Apostles' Creed, together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was crucified by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven 
and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life to come. Amen. Well, as people who proclaim these truths, we are invited to come to the table, to Jesus' table. We have one here at the front, also one here in the back right corner. I invite you to come in groups and gather around and receive together. Also, if you don't yet feel comfortable taking uh, communion this way, we also have the prepackaged communion elements available for you as well in that way. And as we partake in communion today, I want us to focus on the fact that we are tasting with our tongues. The body and blood of Jesus we're receiving in right in that place that need Jesus' forgiving and empowering grace the most, our tongues. So now as we go to communion, to taste and touch and glory and the forgiveness of sins.
Would you stand as we sing together? Oh 
Amen, brothers and sisters, that is why we gather each and every week to proclaim the good news of the hope of our resurrected and returning and reigning King. So I invite you now to, to raise a hand if you feel comfortable to receive this benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Why? So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So go now in joy, in peace, and in hope to love and serve the Lord this week. Have a great week.
Painted for you. Colors exploding. Telling your story. I'm waking up. I'm waking up. I'm waking up. I'm waking
Well, welcome to Christ Community Church. My name is Nate Nall. If you would stand as we prepare our hearts for worship. This is the word of the Lord from Psalm 103, a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As the Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 13.
Would you join me as we confess our sins to our God? The words will be on the screen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own fault in thought and word and deed and in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Let's take a few moments and confess our sins to God in our hearts. Hear this assurance, Romans 5, 8 to 10. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Romans 5, 8 to 10. Could remember the wrongs we have done, a mission all knowing he counts not their sin, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more.
Christ, thank you for your good love. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Lord God, thank you so much that your wounds have paid our ransom, that we are free and can live in, into freedom in Christ. Thank you, Lord God. 
Thank you for your presence and for your Holy Spirit, for your church gathered. Thank you that we can be here today. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would have your way in this time. Would you open our hearts to your word, give us understanding and wisdom. We pray that your will would be done and your kingdom would come. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. You can have a seat. My name is Katie Holland, and I serve as the Director of Children's Ministries here. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I hope to be able to do that soon. If you're new, we're so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. And that chair back in front of you is a green hello card. If you're interested in kind of learning more about who we are, you can fill that out and put it in a basket near the hello wall on your way out, or you can also hand it to anybody with a blue lanyard. Um, we'd just love the chance to get to meet you, and once again, we're so glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. Also in front of you is that blue prayer card. Like we say every week, our staff meets weekly to pray for this campus, and these prayer cards really help direct our prayers for you and your family. So if there's anything going on that you would love for us to be praying about, just fill that out. You can drop that off in the offering box, or you can hand it to one of us as well if you're comfortable with that. Uh, if you came prepared to worship through giving, you can do that online through your mobile device, or you can drop your offering in the box on your way out this morning. I have two announcements that are happening this week at our Shawnee campus. The first is tomorrow night, there's a prayer gathering at 7 p.m. right here. So if you're interested in joining others in praying, seeking the Lord in his presence, I would encourage you to come tomorrow and join us as we do that at 7 p.m. The second is happening this Friday, October 29th, from 6 to 7.30. We're having our first ever fall festival, and I'm super excited about it. This has kind of always been a dream of mine to have a fall festival here. And so we're going to have a chili cook-off. There'll be scorecards and a little prize for the winner, so that should be really fun, especially for us adults. And then there'll be games and crafts and pumpkin cookie decorating for kiddos as well. So we'd love to have you join us. Kids are welcome to come in costumes. If you're interested in providing cookies or cupcakes, there's a sign-up out in the lobby by the Hello Wall, and there's also a sign-up if you're interested in bringing chili for the cook-off, too. So we hope that you'll join us this Friday at 6 o'clock. Those are all of my announcements, so would you please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is James 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to brittle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide, them, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on, the, on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. 
Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Katie. Well, good morning to each of you, and welcome to the Shawnee campus of Christ Community. My name is Bill Gorman, and I serve as the campus pastor at our Brookside campus, so it's a real joy to get to be with you this morning. And uh, if you've been around Shawnee for a while, you you know this, but you just have an incredible team uh, leading and serving uh, with you and serving you and your families here. Uh, Katie, Olivia, Carolyn have been doing an outstanding job, Uh, Nate and Steven and Tyler, Tim Seeley in the booth uh, leading from a tech standpoint. So you just have a great crew of leaders who are leading you so well in this season. And it's a joy to get to be here to share God's word with you this morning. And so I would love to just pause as we uh, transition to looking at this passage in more depth to ask for God's help uh, to understand and apply his word in our lives. So let me pray over us now. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for preserving it, for empowering and gifting um, scholars and others to translate it for us into language that we can understand. And we just pray now that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would apply these words afresh to our lives, that your word would transform our words. We pray this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I think it kind of goes without saying but that some of the most regrettable things that have ever been said have been said on the internet, right? And, and again, we, we know this, uh, but I, I just wanted to remind us with a few examples this morning as we start about just some regrettable things that have been said on the internet. So, so here's, here's the first one. These are just a few captured from Facebook. Um, someone wrote, there is no I in happiness, to which Jake responded, well, if you spelled it right, uh, there would be. Uh, here, here's another one. It says this, when I die, I want my epithet to read, Mistakes were made. Wasn't that already on your birth certificate, Evan says. Ouch. Uh, Okay, here's another one. Uh, Maybe it's not always about trying to fix something broken. Maybe it's about starting over and creating something better. And that's why you have a younger brother. (laughs) Again, ouch. Uh, Okay, here, here, I got a couple more. Here's another one. Without the ugly in this world, there would be nothing beautiful. To which someone replied, thank you for your sacrifice. <laughs> and then lastly, here, it's, this, this is a little one hard to read, but so it says, people who think I'm attractive. And then that little blue box there, it says, my mom. Like, that's all. And then, and then his mom replied, that's not true, and you know it. Now, I, I, I want to think in the best uh, like interpretation of that is that his mom is trying to be encouraging, saying, no, I'm not the only one who thinks you're attractive. There are others. But it comes across as, as maybe not quite so powerful there. Okay, so our words, friends, our words have incredible power. Power to wound and also power to heal. Power to build up and power to destroy and and completely tear down. In fact, Proverbs 18.21, and Proverbs is a book in the Old Testament that that condenses all this wisdom uh, down to just these short kind of memorable statements. Proverbs 18.21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Right? And in an age of social media and email and texts, 
our words are able to spread faster and farther and remain longer than ever before. Right? In fact, uh, MIT sociologist Sherry Turkle in her outstanding book called Reclaiming Conversation, this was written even a number of years ago now, probably eight or nine years ago, but she studied uh, the importance of face-to-face -face communication. And she said one of the things she looked at was college students and how they interacted with written communication, texts and emails in particular, and the devastating power that they had when someone would email them or text them, especially in a, like a romantic relationship, breaking up with them, that kind of thing. Those words can endure for a long, long time. You can go back and reread those emails and texts over and over and over again, and the wounds can be freshly opened again and again. When it comes to words, right, we all have wounds. We all have regrets. We all have regrets. I and mean, we all have words, don't we, that we wish we could take back? Things we wish we could unsay, untype, unsend. I mean, I could share some of them with you this morning from my life. I know I have them. But I, honestly, as I tried to think through real examples, all the real examples that I thought about are just they're too painful. They're too embarrassing. They'd be too hurtful to the people who originally heard them to share them again in this space. And again, maybe it was a text exchange, or maybe you were on an email or, or a group text thread, and you replied with a, with a criticism or a joke about someone on the thread thinking you were only sending it to one person. Accidentally replied all. Or maybe it was in the middle of an argument with a friend or a coworker. With, with, maybe you were arguing with your parents. Or it was in a conversation with a child or a spouse. You said something that you wish you could unsay. You texted something you wish you could take back. Singer-songwriter Sarah Gross has this piercing line in her song called Roll to the Middle. It's from the first verse, and this just always, always gets me. She writes this, We just had World War III right here in our kitchen, and we both thought the meanest things, and then we both said them. We shot at each other until we lost ammunition. That, that middle coupling there in that verse, that we both thought the meanest things, and then we said them. How often has that been true in our lives? We thought the meanest things and then we said them. And so, and so the question is this morning, in light of the fact that we all have wounds, we all have regrets when it comes to words, is how do we keep, how do we avoid speaking words that we'll regret, words that will wound? And that's what we want to look at today in our Real Faith series. In this series, we've been studying uh, Pastor James' letter to his congregation and again, as best as we can kind of tell that James was, was the pastor of the Jerusalem church, and then that church, uh, after the persecution of Stephen and the, the death of Stephen, had to scatter. And so Pastor James is writing this letter to encourage his, his, little, his little group of, of early believers. This is right after Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended. He's writing this letter out to them to encourage them in their walk with Jesus. He's, he's saying real faith is living as though Jesus is actually the risen and reigning that's one way we can talk about what real faith is, is actually living as though Jesus is the risen and reigning king. And so really, James and, and the rest of the New Testament letters are just trying to help early Christian communities figure out what does it look like to live as if Jesus were actually king. And what we see today is this, and I encourage you, if you only write down one thing, I hope it's this, is that real faith transforms our tongues. 
Real faith transforms our tongues. And here's what's at stake. If real faith doesn't do that work of transforming our tongues, then we will continue to send life-destroying shrapnel into the lives and hearts of those around us, as well as into our own hearts and lives. But here's the hope, that if real faith begins to transform our tongues, that we can actually become sources of life, giving beauty and goodness and healing in the lives of those around us. And so as we dive into what Pastor James has for us today in this chapter in chapter 3, we're going to kind of do that in three parts. First, we're going to see the power of the tongue. And then we're going to look at the poison that comes from the tongue. And then finally, we'll have three practices for the tongue. So we're first at the power, then the poison, and then three practices. So the first thing we see here in this passage is the power of the tongue. And James has this pattern that he uses throughout the letter. And if you've been following along, if you haven't picked up one of those formed life journals, I don't know if we have any available here, but if you're newer with us, we have these journals that kind of help you follow along in the discipline of simplicity. But at the beginning of those journals, we actually have the entire text of James printed. So if you just want to like mark it up and circle things and you don't want to do that in your, your Bible, uh, you can use one of those journals to do that. But you'll notice a pattern if you, if you read through James a few times that he has this, he'll give an instruction or a command like, don't show favoritism, or in this case, you know, not to, many of you should become teachers. We'll more on that in just a moment. And then he follows that with some illustrations or examples, and then he adds some further explanation. So that's kind of his pattern of how he communicates in the letter. So look for that pattern as you read. And the instruction he gives begins right here in verse 1 of chapter 3. I encourage you, if you haven't opened your Bible already to that, or if you, uh, even if you just have your phone, you can just go to Google, type in James numeral 3, and you'll find a website that has the text if you want to follow along. But he says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, James's point here is not that teachers are somehow more important than anyone else, but rather he's just pointing out that all of us, all believers, will be judged, evaluated on the basis of our words, and teachers just have a lot more words that they speak, a lot more opportunity to be evaluated, to be judged on what they say. Then James goes on to give several illustrations, uh, examples of the power of the tongue, because that's what he wants us to see first here is the power of the tongue. There's a small bit in a horse's mouth, right? A, a small rudder on a ship, a small spark that ignites a fire. So I've got, I've got this image here, right? So uh, just a tiny piece of metal can control a 2,000-pound Clydesdale right? Or or a little rudder can direct a 640,000 ton ship. This is one of the largest container ships in the world. Or a tiny spark, you know, just a a, a trailer chain dragging along the highway. A careless cigarette butt can ignite an entire forest fire. James's point is these small things, they are small, but they are incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. And, And James, before he even makes a moral statement about the tongue or a value statement about the tongue, he wants us to first just grapple with the power that the tongue has. That you have this incredibly powerful thing that you carry with you everywhere you go. And, and I think James wants us, again, to wrestle with the power of the tongue first because the things of great power are most dangerous when we forget how powerful they are. Things of great power are most dangerous when we forget just how powerful they are. So think about a table saw, for example. Uh, 
Um, I recently got a table saw. I've been doing some woodworking, so this has been fresh on my mind. Think about a table saw. I mean, it's an incredibly powerful tool, right? And it is, uh, you know, it can slice through hardwoods like nothing. Uh, and it's designed to create goodness and beauty in the world, right? It, it's a tool designed, you can use it to, to build a house, to make furniture. It's designed to create power or to create beauty and goodness in the world. It has incredible power to do that. But also, it has incredible power to cut off all of your fingers like that, right? And, and the moment that you forget how powerful it is is the moment that you begin to become careless. James wants us to wrestle with the power of the tongue. Think about an, another example, another instrument or tool of great power that we use all the time is our, is our cars, right? Car is an incredibly powerful tool, and we hear a lot about the dangers of distracted driving, don't we? We've all experienced that, you know, whether we've done it ourselves or someone else who, who almost ran into us because we're texting or looking at our phones. The danger of distracted driving. But how often do we think about the danger of distracted or careless speaking? We have to realize the life-destroying power that our tongues have and so, so James wants us to confront us with this incredible power of our tongue so that we will never treat that power carelessly. Because when we do treat it carelessly, when we do treat it thoughtlessly, or even worse, when we treat it maliciously, our tongues can inject venom into those around us. And that's what we see next, is that there's a poison that comes from the tongue. A poison that comes from the tongue. And that's really the heart of James' teaching in this text. And you see this in verses three, or excuse me, in verses five through six here, where James continues. He says, So the tongue is a small member. It's a really small part of our bodies, is his point. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And he says, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of our lives. Now, earlier in the text, James mentions that if anyone's able to bridle their tongue, control their tongue, they are perfect in every way. And here he says just the opposite, that when you misuse your tongue, it actually stains the whole of your life, right? And we could give a thousand examples right, from our own lives about this. But one of the most recent like, public examples of this is the former, now former Raiders coach, John Gruden whose careless and demeaning, image-bearing, image-marring words destroyed his career and poisoned people made in the image of God. Right From the lies that we spread to avoid trouble or to get ahead or the gossip that we pass along to tear others down or to build ourselves up, there are dangerous, deadly poisons in our tongue. And we know this experientially, but we also see it biblically if we step back and look at the origin of sin and death in the world. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and you look at Adam and Eve's rebellion against God in the garden, how were they deceived? The enemy, the serpent, does not come to them with force. He doesn't come with emotional manipulation, but he comes with a slithering tongue that spoke came at them with an idea, with a lie. Friends, how much evil and pain and division and hate and destruction in our lives is attributed to the power of lies 
and the poison of words. As followers of Jesus, we must see and live into the reality that real faith transforms our tongues. And that means we need to be acutely aware of the kinds of poisons that our words produce. So now look down to verse 9 in chapter 3 here, where James writes this, With it our tongues, with our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in the image and in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not be so. And this is the core of why James is so emphatic in this passage. Because when our tongues spew poison, they are cursing human beings. Men and women, boys and girls, who are made in God's image. Not not just random accidents of chance plus time plus matter, but people who Jesus before the foundation of the world, thought of and loved and brought into being and created by his own will and power. And and when we speak words of cursing and slander and poison into their lives, it is like taking spray paint and a utility knife to the Mona Lisa. We're defacing the image of God in that person. When when we slander someone, when when we really rip into someone, it's, it's almost as if, and not that we are consciously thinking this in the moment, but it's almost as if we kind of pull Jesus aside and say, hey, Jesus, you, you see that person over there that you made? Yeah, you, I know you love them, you crafted them, you, made, you died for them on the cross, you gave your life for them, you rose so that they could be with you, you love them so much. You know what? I think they are an absolute just pile of excrement screwed up. Friends, it just it grieves Jesus, to, when we curse people who are made in the very image of God, who he loves, who he gave his life for. Brothers and sisters, these things should not be so. These should not be so. But the problem is, even though these things should not be so, they are so. Our tongues, my tongue, your tongue, the tongues of, of James's congregation 2,000 years ago. This is not a new problem. Our tongues are cursing people who are made in God's image. Okay, so what do we do about it? That's the, that's the question here. What do we do about this? Well, well, thankfully, James offers us this very encouraging word. In James uh, chapter 3, verse 7, he says this, He says, for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Okay, thanks, James. So you're telling me that this is a massive problem and actually you can't do anything about it. it, you, You cannot tame the tongue. In fact, James is telling us here that it is easier to be this guy. It's easier to be this guy to, tr- to tame wild animals than it is to consistently speak words of life and kindness and love and joy and peace to others. It, it is easier to tame wild animals than to consistently speak words of life to others. And what James is clear about, if you cannot directly tame the tongue, you have to get at the source. If you're only going to try to tame the tongue, there is no hope. But there are three practices that we see that we can pursue to help 
Because your faith, real faith in King Jesus, actually releases a power in your life that allows you, enables you, empowers you to do things that you could not do on your own. And often that power comes as we implement practices or spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines that begin to reshape who we are. And so I want to suggest this morning three practices that can help us unleash that power of God's grace in our lives that begins to transform our words. And so the first practice is this, to pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to your heart. Because James' point with, with our inability to tame the tongue is that you cannot take a sin management or a behavior management approach to your tongue. You can't just try harder to speak better and successfully have a long-term change in your life. You have to get at the source. What Jesus says over and over in the Gospels, he says, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. If you want to tame your tongue, you have to pay attention to the source, which is your heart. Uh, Kurt Thompson, uh, who's a Christian psychologist, he was with us a couple weeks ago uh, for an evening at our Leewood campus. And if you didn't have a chance to, to be there, I would encourage you to go onto our Facebook page, or, or maybe it's on our Facebook page, but our YouTube page for sure, and you can watch that event. We recorded it. Um, it's, it was an outstanding time with Kurt Thompson. One of the things that Kurt says often in his writing and his talks is that you have to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. You have to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Because when you start paying attention to what you are paying attention to, you actually begin to attune to what is happening in your heart, in your inner life. What are you noticing? What are you taking in? What are you remembering? And until we 